Welcome, Iowa innovators, educators, entrepreneurs, ecosystem builders, and anyone who is interested in finding fresh ways of doing the work they do right here in Iowa. This is Iowa Innovation, powered by Nubo Co. and sponsored by Nine Master Good, where we talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. I am your co-host, Rob Merritt, and uh, my guest co-host today, once again, Anthony Betters is back for a What's second up? straight week. So uh, we didn't scare you away last time, huh? No. Uh, hey, so of course, that was my first time doing a podcast. It's my second, and this was awesome. Man, you've been like a, you've been awesome on the mic so far. It's been really, really fun having you in here, and you've got some really good insights on, on things we're talking about. Uh, today, we're actually talking with Daryl English, uh, who has We Dream Technical Solutions, and Daryl's just got some fascinating stories about how he got started and uh, what made him take the leap to start his own business, uh, and he's got some really good insights about the IT industry and some of the challenges that they're facing and some of the ways that he's solving them. So, hey, let's innovate, Iowa. This show is sponsored by Nine Master Good, Iowa's largest law firm with offices in Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, and Ames. Nine Master's cutting-edge, positive legal approach has helped businesses of all sizes succeed for more than 100 years. And not just all sizes, but all types. You know, one of the things that I have really come to learn over the last season and a half now of this podcast, and Nine Master Good being with us since the beginning, is all the different businesses we've talked to, realizing I never thought about how many different ways you would need legal services in the entrepreneurial community, but uh, they just kind of come into play everywhere that you could think of. Um, even Daryl, who we're talking to today, you know, Daryl runs mainly a transactional business by having an IT support company. But, uh, you know, even there, you know, you're dealing with customers, uh, you're working on their equipment. So you're definitely going to want to make sure you've got a legal team in your corner just in case uh, something comes up. Um, or if nothing else, just to get their advice and insight, you know, like you don't necessarily have to be facing like a legal case just to have attorneys sit there going, you know, this is the best thing you could do. This is what you should have in place. These are the kinds of policies you should put in. Um, that's just really, really helpful to have them in your corner. And that's the thing. With more than 70 practice areas, Nymaster has attorneys with expertise in all areas of the law, including corporate structure, capital raising, intellectual property protection, tax planning, employee benefits, labor and employment law, government relations, and litigation. Hey, so visit www.nymaster.com. That's N-Y-E-Master.com to learn what Nymaster Good can do for you. Daryl, welcome to the studio. It's great to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. So uh, We Dream Technical Solutions is in the Nubo market right now, but when did you actually start the business? Like, when did you start doing that kind of work? So I've been in IT working for about 20 years um, across different industries, but the last five years, kind of where I concentrated and, and kind of made up my mind out, did want to be like independent in IT. So I started off delivering like remote service and remote technical support. And at what point did you feel like you could move a business into the market and actually have a storefront? So the pandemic happened, Dureco happened, and all these big old companies was taking all these bailouts. And I'm like, we all living from paycheck to paycheck. Why not? Should I take? I, why should not take that chance and kind of, um, you know, step up and take that risk? So to me, we was all on an equal playing field. So if I was gonna take a risk, it had to be then. And what? Uh, and what did you envision? 
Well, first of all, where did the name We Dream come from? So I am a millennial, and and when I was in college, like I never wanted to be that guy who worked thirty years and then retire. Nothing wrong with it, but that wasn't a plan I had for myself. So I kind of feel like millennials. We were a generation of dreamers. Like we wanted to do things different and kind of uh, explore that business avenue more. Yeah. So what made you want to get into IT? Ooh. So my background is pretty much uh, graphic design and marketing, but technology has always been like a natural shift. And I came out in December '09, and it with no jobs. Mm. So doing that, it kind of pushed my transition into IT. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And right. I've been pretty much employed ever since. Yeah. And so with you being employed, so I guess you can say, let's go back. What was your first job in IT? Ooh. Geek Squad. Geek Squad. <laughs> yes, Geek Squad was my first transition, and that's why I kind of picked up my computer repair and phone repair skills. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. And so Geek Squad, that is in Best Buy for everybody. Is yes. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so are you going out to different businesses and kind of help them out with their IT and kind of building your portfolio off <laughs> that, or kind of how did you kind of start that? So I needed experience. I didn't want to get into um, owning an IT company and didn't have those, like, core skills. So... Pretty much, um, I learned. I stayed with them. They had a pretty good training program at that time. So I stayed with them. And then I eventually transitioned into the Salvation Army, where they was building the Ray and Drone Croc Centers, big old community centers in, like, low-income neighborhoods. And that was kind of my first kind of endeavor into, like, the IT field, where kind of I learned, like, the support of it behind the scenes. Uh, Shoot, they said IT was anything that plugged into the wall. So mm. replacing boards and exercising machines, you kind of had to stretch your skill set and kind of learn a lot. So that was kind of my first kind of natural transition into IT from repair. Okay. Hey, shout out to Geek Squad for getting the We Dream started. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. And uh, with that, and so, of course, was that here in Cedar Rapids or was that in uh, your hometown? Yes, that was back in Chicago. So pretty much I started my career out there after I came back from Alabama about six months after I graduated. Um, I kind of came back to the Midwest, and that's when I kind of got my feet into technology and kind of seen some things that I liked, and I kind of just pursued it from there. There we go. Mm-hmm. And so uh, would you mind talking about your transition from Chicago to Cedar Rapids and kind of building your portfolio here in the IT area? Okay. So IT, I worked as pretty much a contractor for a majority of my career. That's kind of how I liked it uh, because you get to experience different fields in IT. Um, I was working for um, Ingalls Memorial Hospital at the time, and then the University of Chicago ended up acquiring mm-hmm. um, us and uh, we was on contract already outsourced from um, Cerna so pretty much they sent their guy and when in IT field there's a guy man if they send them you know your site getting closed down or you know there's about to be some major transitions and I was making good money it was just me and my daughter but I wasn't making enough money to live in a certain neighborhoods so mm-hmm. I just didn't really feel safe in their environment so Iowa, man, it was low cost of living. I knew some people out here, and we kind of um, tested it out for a couple months, and then we made that transition. Nice. So I'm curious, uh, now that you've been in Iowa for a while, comparing it to some of the places you've been, um, I mean, you had your hopes for what it would be like when you came here, but how has it lived up to the expectation? What are the advantages or disadvantages of being a business owner in Iowa? So transitioning from Illinois to Iowa, the business structure and everything that I was trying to do was a little different. 
So when I first came here, I kind of just wanted to learn Iowa, kind of just get familiar with the local surrounding businesses and how to kind of build it. So, excuse me, the first people I reached out to was like the SBA and connected with people, um, them, and they was just giving me information on how to lay it out. And then I got uh, connected with Maurice Davis, um, and that's when he first started. Well, he first took over um, Empower. That was the partnership with GoDaddy where they was teaching business and leadership skills. So just doing that program, man, we got a wealth of information, and I was able to kind of set and reset my foundation. I already had the skill sets to do it, but I needed to understand the resources that was available. Um, it wasn't hard. Um, because this is mostly like agriculture and kind of construction, like the IT field was kind of wide open. So um, I took a couple jobs here, um, just getting the layout of land and kind of just seeing what people was offering already. And I just seen that there was a, a need, like there wasn't a lot of repair and there wasn't a lot of people pursuing technology. So, man, I seen a need and I kind of just took advantage of the market. You know, we talk about that a lot uh, at Delta V, that there is such a huge need for tech employees and there's not enough people to fill the demand. And it's one of the reasons why we've we've started not just our coding school, but also we have an, uh, we have like a, a tech support program, you know, training IT. Um, and one of the things that our team has talked about a lot is the importance of staying on top of things, that mm-hmm. the IT industry changes so quickly and... I'm curious from your perspective, how do you stay on top of those changes? How do you keep up with where equipment is going and, and how you can still provide tech support to the latest stuff? So when I was coming through um, building my career, one of the rules that, that I did apply that I always said, like, I never went to a company who had old equipment, who wasn't transitioning to new equipment. Um, they had to be in some kind of growth phase. Hmm. So I've been a part of a lot of transitions, a lot of acquiring, a lot of stuff where they was upgrading to new system and spilling millions and millions of dollars. So I learned the business aspect of IT doing that, but I also learned the structural part of IT doing that too. So um, when when that kind of just put me in that mindset, knowing like, hey, these are the companies you need to keep up with or this is the technology you need to learn. <laughs> and in my career, like, I always had veterans around me. So... They would tell me, like, learning the old stuff is good, but always be willing to learn the new stuff because that's where the company's going. That's what you want to do. You always want to be where they're going to. So, man, I just applied that, and, shoo, man, I am always learning. (laughs) Even right now, like, I'm working with robotics. I'm learning uh, Python and how to build uh, AIs and stuff. So, it's a consistent system that I have a learning. You're working in robotics and you're working with AI? Why are yes. we not best friends? <laughs> I am so nerdy about robots and AI. Everybody who knows me knows that. And I'm like, yeah. yeah I, I, I Tell me more about that work because now I'm, now I'm very intrigued. He's a cool guy, Rob. I told you. <laughs> so uh, we, um, we compete with uh, First. Um, and pretty much like they um, released like the arena for this year and the game. So... Now they're uh, pushing kids seem like more quoting instead of the build out of it, but actually giving this robot commands and identifying images and being able to move to certain spots. So um, I'm the mentor coder, but like I did a lot of design language and stuff. So programming language is like it's fun. It's it's a different <laughs> kind of environment. I'm like. Every Python video is like three, four hours long and learning uh, vCore. But first provides a lot of resources. Like they've given a lot on GitHub and all that. So just learning code and commands and then being able to teach our robot like, hey, 
when you see this image to go here or being able to upload those and learn how the uh, AI is working and teaching it to learn. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm a geek about that too. Like, I think that's fascinating that you can teach something how to learn. So, mm. um, and as it grows and as the coding and the lines get to get better, like we develop it and we just send it out and we're going to compete. Like I play to win. So I'm putting in the time that kind of you know, kind of get that uh, base foundation and kind of just take it from there. So when you say compete, the first thing that comes to mind robotics is fire. Robotics. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're fighting each other. Yes. Fight. So, yes. yes. So could you explain a little more about the competition and how uh, one could win the competition? So um, it's pretty much uh, they don't let the kids fight. You know, it's pretty expensive to uh, rebuild bots that you can tow up. So, <laughs> um, but the sponsorships and partnership they that they have with um, different um, industries in IT. Um, but I kind of like it because it kind of um, helps and expose the kids to like um, something different. I said last year we did our focus was like uh, storage and stuff, and then we seen Amazon warehouse lay off all those people, replace them with those robots, and I'm mm. like, we did that, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, we don't. Like- I love it. Most people see layoffs and they're like, oh, and you're just like, yes, I'm I made that thing. <laughs> and we like, but to be able to be so young and to see like innovation like coming like right before your eyes, and now how now they. All these companies are partnering together to get these kids to be focused on AI mm-hmm. and artificial intelligence and learning metaverse and stuff like that. It's kind of pretty awesome kind of see that shift and change. I'm curious as somebody who is like, I mean, you are, uh, you know, on the front lines of IT and tech support. And, and we talk a lot about how that is a difficult field to get people interested in or to get employees hired from. Um, are you seeing, because you're talking about a lot of kids now who are doing coding and, and doing various programs at schools that, that are that are tech related. Are you seeing any kind of shift or is it not really changing? Is it still a really high demand area that it's hard to get people interested in? So I'm a, I'm, I'm a dinosaur. Like technology has changed and advanced so much where in a session we may develop a concept, um, do a blueprint. Um, by the end of class in a 55 minute period, we build in a 3D printed prototype of it. So f- technology is way faster. And like kids, we want them to kind of learn and understand like design processes, but technology has made it so easy where you just press a button and sit there. Mm. So in a sense, like it's hard to motivate because you're not learning that technical aspect of why this is working and why they're doing this. I mean, you just kind of seeing something doing it all for you. And I tell them like, I'm one of the last of my kind where I actually still repair and actually started kind of still getting into it and understand it. But these kids, their experiences are different. And so when they see somebody like me, like I had a young man, he was helping me, uh, just log into the computer doing some uh, and setting up uh, admin access when we was doing computers for the uh, cyber cafe. And he was so flustered. You're like, man, what you do is hard. And we was just, we was just, you know, uh, elevating um, a profile and some, so something that may be simple to me, he's seen it as pretty difficult. So I think like, um, that's the problem that I've been having that I have so much experience, and when people see all that te- the technology and stuff, they get more intimidated. Or you know, mm-hmm. even if I'm exposed to it, I see it all the time. Like kids, no phones; they can work the crap out of phones and tablets. But when you put a computer in front of them or um, try to uh, get them to conceptualize a design process, it's a little bit more difficult and hard. So, do I get a lot of kids to say they're interested? Yes, but once they get in, and they be like, nah. 
Oh, this actually takes work. Oh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you don't see that effort no more. Right. But I think the passion is still there. Mm. Okay. And so are you trying to figure out a way to engage them a little bit better outside of your expertise? Yeah, so, and that was one of the things, and that's why I like being, like, in the high schools, like, just being able to see, like, their interests and, like, what they're focused on. And, like, the back end of technology has changed where kids may not have that desire, but they may want to play video games or they may want to uh, sit and talk to their friends because communication has changed and the way people just in general interact with each other has changed. And technology is one reason why we've seen the downfall when a text message came out. Like, people stopped talking to each mm. other like... So, yeah, seeing that kind of residual effect or something like that, like, yeah. So my goal is kind of to give them – that's why I like that a lot of um, programs out here do project-based learning, like what you're interested in, like what kind of spark it in. Like if you ain't interested in that, try something else. Like you may not, you may not like the coding part, but you may like mm-hmm. the building part, or you may like the think, thinking part or the problem-solving part. So being able to um, expose them to multiple avenues I think kind of helps out. Well, you know, and Dan Turry on our team talks a lot about how uh, when you're training people in IT, that you can't just teach them the tech part, that uh, that people skills are so important. Because he said, if you have somebody who has a lot of technical knowledge, but they can't follow directions and they can't relate to people, especially customers, if somebody comes in and is like, hey, I'm having this problem, and you can't talk to them on a personal level about, oh, well, okay, you need to fix this, or do we need to do this? Um, if you don't have those people skills, then you're still not much good to an employer, even with all the technology in your brain, because you can't communicate it and they can't communicate with you. Um, and so that's a big part of the Delta V IT program is teaching personal skills to go with all of the tech stuff that you're learning. It's just, it's something that people don't really think about so much in, mm-hmm. in the tech industry, and yet it's really critical. And, and like you mentioned, with people starting to lose that conversational ability because of texting and, and all that, it's like, well, you know, if you're, on a, help, if you're on, a, on a tech support desk and you're getting calls coming in, you've got to be able to troubleshoot over the phone, which means communicating with people. You can't text that stuff. Yep. Um, so yeah, no, you, you make a really, really good point. And that's something that more people should think about that, uh, you, you gotta be able to talk to people. Man, them soft skills are so important because, um, in my career, like, um, I've worked in like, IT can be a very segment in, in uh, environment. So, um, just for example, like I worked at, um, um, the hospital and you have your network team, you got your systems team, you got your support team, and everybody doing their own thing, and network guys don't get along with these guys, and these guys don't want these guys touching their stuff, and and you see, like, um, a bunch of individuals kind of in their own corner, and that's kind of what our industry has kind of portrayed. Like, that's what IT is, is a bunch of people, you know, not liking each other, just focusing just on the computer. Um, but one of the things that I liked about um, was... I try to build that relationship with everybody. So when learning, I learned how to talk to the developers and, and I learned how to talk to the network people and the system people and kind of built that bridge and kind of built that communication. That's like, cause I've learned the front end from when I worked in customer service, just growing up and how to talk to people and how to greet people and stuff like that. And then the tech side was more or less. Now I got these older guys who see this young guy were like, nah, you ain't coming in here trying to take my job. So, you know, they kind of, so I had, to, I had to grind a little bit more. I had to work a little hard. But during that consistency, you seen like an older generation kind of loosen up and they started giving me tips and learning mm. stuff. And when they seen that not only was I 
um, a hard worker, but I also had other skill sets that can also kind of merge um, different departments and kind of learn to be that liaison and that valuable um, source. Hey, so now that I think about that in the sense of you running a business, I remember when I first moved to Cedar Rapids, kind of starting business from ground zero, it was hard. Yeah. And I was thinking like, man, like it'll be easier if I just go back to a nine to five you know, this would be mm-hmm. so much easier. Have you ever had those kind of thoughts like, man, like this is tough. Like, well, what if I could go and be like the head of IT or something like that? Or are or, you consistent? Or just, I just really miss Geek Squad. <laughs> <laughs> Did it ever happen? Going back to Best Buy, <laughs> yeah. No, every other day. Every every other day. No, this, uh, I see, I uh, talk to some of my friends and he like, yeah, man, I just took this job. I'm a Linux admin and... They paying me eighty five, ninety thousand dollars to sit in my house, and I'm like, man, like, <laughs> and you know, like, just You're busting my butt, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, sometimes I have that feeling, like, man, I work real hard for a dollar, but it's something that I love doing, and it's a passion, and it's something that I wanted, and I got to continue to like remind myself, like, nah, girl, you wanted this because I remember back being in corporate America and how I didn't like it, and all the things that you know I went through, Leah. I love them consistent checks, the great insurance plan, and all that other stuff that uh, working in just the tech industry at a higher level brings. But, like, nah, I couldn't go back. Like, this is what I want. Like, so even when I'm in that feeling, like, no matter what, like, I try to get up and do it every day, no matter what. And being able to um, be task-oriented and detail-oriented, like, no, we got to complete this, this, and this, and we got to do this and this. And having many hats in a business is, like, the hardest thing, especially when you got to do your marketing. Then you got to be your own IT guy. Then you got to solve all the other people's problems. That does weigh, like, very heavy. Like, I tell people I don't do a lot of manual labor, but 80% of the time I'm thinking, like, and that may not seem like a lot to some people, but sometimes I just don't want to be thinking, like... (laughs) Because you're always consistently problem solving, and and every day you got a new challenge that you have to figure out and that you have to learn. So, oh no no, I, I had that every other. <laughs> well, and you've got a team too. I, I actually stopped by. Uh, I stopped by the market this weekend. Uh, I was just going to go say hello, and uh, and you were not there, but there was somebody else, and I was yeah. like, it got me thinking. I was like, wow, how many how many people work for Daryl? So I, I'm curious, how big is your team? So right now I have about um. Uh, two, three people that's consistent that kind of come and help out when they can. One of them was a um, PhD student, so he he's working um like he's a CPU power type guy and researcher type thing. So he comes and he do a lot of project based stuff for me. Um, I don't really have another repair tech right now, but we're working on some other things um, with some people. But I have a few people. A lot of things that I'm leaning hard on is more the community engagement, like with um. Um, Iowa Big and the students who signed up for that program, so they'll be engaged in it. And then um, some interns that I use from Metro who are interested in tech that I'll be able to teach, you know, their repair skill too. So I, I'm still leaning heavy on the uh, more of the high school and younger students right now too. But that's awesome because what, what better place to get real-world experience than yeah. something like that? Oh, man, I would have killed for something like this at my oh, God, age. Yeah, yeah. Well, at their age. Like, <laughs> oh, there's kids. They have, like, entire esports leagues in high school now. I would have killed for that. We're going to get into what? that. Yeah. I, I got Ooh. into trouble for playing video games in high school. These kids are, like, they're, they're like, having tryouts. Like, mm-hmm. I was reading that, like, you know, they're on... 
you can tell I'm a theater guy. I'm like, they're auditioning to get onto the team. And I'm like, no, people don't audition to get on teams. They try out for teams, you dummy. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, no, it's crazy how things are changing and how uh, how tech is becoming more and more, not just important, but supported at the high school level, uh, which is a really, really cool thing to see. Um, I We got to ask about this because uh, this just happened last week. But uh, congratulations, by the way, on the runner-up finish in the Race for the Space Thank competition. You. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that experience, like how you got involved in that and how the process went for you? Okay, so um, I worked closely with um, Sarah at Nubo. Um, she kind of handles like the business development. And so like she um, kind of seen this grant come through. And whenever stuff like that for small business come through, like she always hooking up the um, small business owners over at Nubo. So. I was like, yeah, like this opportunity that, you know, I want to do. And I had already kind of transitioned to um, where I wanted to do like a cyber cafe. So I seen this and I'm like, yeah, this is something like it's innovative. It's different. Like and it brings um, entertainment. And just for people who, who are listening who maybe didn't know about the race for the space competition. Can you mm-hmm. can you just talk a little bit about what that competition was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that competition was pretty much where. um downtown and uh, uh, metro economic and all those people they wanted to bring more um, small businesses downtown and kind of bring and rejuvenate that area because i guess during covid like a lot of people um no longer working um downtown so you lose a lot of traffic we had a guy who had a shop downtown a business where he had to close down because the traffic was just not there and so this was just one of the ways that they put together um, a grant program where they were giving like the top business twenty thousand dollars either for rent or to help you build out and you got another seventy five hundred dollar credit for design and consultation and stuff so um, that that was it was to target small businesses but also kind of bring those dollars back downtown and and trying to reinvigorate the area yeah. And so do you th- personally think that if you were to get a brick and mortar, that downtown will be a good hub for um, your business? Yeah. Um, based on the buildings like that was offered, they offered three different buildings and it was kind of in the same area. And that particular area, it was kind of it was kind of dry. So um, something like that kind of would have helped um, um, bring in some business down there. But downtown at first it was it because I wanted to do esports. That's what made sense. I think the esports part, not just a cyber cafe, because you can have a cyber cafe anywhere and it's gonna draw and bring people. But the esports, um, and then you having a hotel like right down the street, like you want to draw in those real kind of competitive sports and those real kind of uh, crowds from esports. So having esports downtown made a lot more sense. And so this morning I was actually uh, on Instagram and I saw that the Milwaukee Bucks have an eSports t- NBA 2K team. And these kids are literally playing yeah. for thousands of dollars. Uh-huh. And so would you like to elaborate a little bit more on what eSports is and kind of your vision of what you think eSports would kind of bring to the Cedar Rapids uh, metro area? Okay, so eSports is just like um, any other sports league. Um, just on a high school level, you have your... Um, IH, IHSA, uh, but now you got your IHSAE, where now the, even on the high school level, they're incorporating that esports and that competitive type league. So, just like with most things, you have your local sports, but you also have your esports on a national level where you're getting sponsorships, where you're competing with your own team, where you're competing as an individual, and you're competing with like popular titles like Madden or some kind of battle royale game or a first person shooter game. 
And literally, like, people just watching you play. I got sons, younger sons. I'd be like, why y'all sitting watching these people play video games on YouTube? But the times have changed, and that's where everything is going, where people want to see the skill set of somebody else and how they think and mindset. And people don't see the see people just playing games, but you don't see the strategy and the competitiveness behind it if you just like, oh, they just sitting around playing games. No, it means something because guess what? That's still data being collected, and that's people being engaged and involved. So esports on a national level is uh, scholarships, sponsorships, where, yeah, you sitting playing games, but you providing a service or you providing something to that company that's allowing them to make, make more games or make better games, and they benefit from it too. So to me, it's just the cycle of the game in life. So, Mom, do you hear that? Sports, <laughs> playing video games is not bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I was flipping channels uh, one, late one night, which is always a dangerous thing to do, and I came across a show where they were televising one of these esports tournaments, and I don't even remember which fighting game they were doing. Um, but, uh, but it was, I mean, there was like a whole audience that was in, like a studio audience that was watching this and they were so riveted by the drama of it. And these, like these competitors, you know, picking fighters and they had like commentators. I mean, <laughs> and then, was real. and then when the pandemic happened and all the sports shut down, they were televising on ESPN, uh, like virtual Formula One races and virtual, they did a virtual Indy 500. But that. the thing was that they brought in actual drivers and they were competing <laughs> against mm -hmm. fans. So, I mean, they had an, like Mario Andretti actually did one of the esports Indy 500 races. And uh, and there were Formula One guys that were doing the, 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 the F1 PS5 game. And it was crazy, just like the, the, the amount, not only just the amount of attention this was getting, but the fact that like people were genuine and then there were like debates going on the Formula One forums about why are you showing this? This isn't real racing. This is just stupid video games. I come here to read F1 news. And it's like, well, dude, F1's not racing right now. Right. But this is happening. And then once the pandemic, you know, slowed down and things started coming back, those leagues are still going. And those mm -hmm. people who really got into the hardcore simulators and things like that are still doing it. Um, it's here to stay, and it's yeah. and it's fascinating. And I used to be the same way. I was like, why do people want to watch other people play a game? And then once I watched it a few times, I was like, okay, I get it. I get it because there is like massive skill. The people that are playing this, they would they would kill you in like ten seconds if you went up against them. Right. Like they are super good at what they do. And I I'm like I salute you because this is. This is this is not me picking up a controller and going, okay, what happens if I push mash these buttons? Like it's not that. It's these guys are training hardcore. Uh, right. And I salute them. And it's it's just but it's funny to see that whole new form of entertainment just kind of grow up. Um and, and it's it's yeah, it's great that that's available for kids now. Hey, if oh. there were if there was a Wii Sports tournament, count me in. I'm beating everybody. Hey, man, it's coming soon. <laughs> man, coming they bring soon. back the original yes. Virtua Fighter arcade and have like a tournament on that. I will clean up. Oh, don't worry. I, got <laughs> I some owned that games. game in college. Well, we got us some Raspberry Pi with some emulators, so we got some old school nostalgia games, so <laughs> don't count it out. Hey, what is, the, what is the craziest IT service call you've ever had to do? Ooh. Mm, business or residential? Your call, man. Whatever's nuttier. Um, so just on like a serious tip, I worked with a company where um, their IT guy was retiring. Well, he did retire, and but he was still kind of helping them out, and um, like they um they had a lot of they records and you know 
stuff that's on the computer. There was an older, um, it was an older lady operating it, and she and she called me to come in because they couldn't access um, none of that data. Um, so they had a file server on the network, and they couldn't access none of it. They didn't understand why. Um, so when I got there, I typically kind of see and identify like where the equipment was. But during the course of my investigation, I found out like, hey, y'all haven't backed up these files in over a year. And what was supposed to be making copies and duplicating, it wasn't. So, like, this was their only copy. And, like, everything was, like, crashing, like, back to back. And I'm like, these computers haven't been updated in, like, six to eight months. And um, when you're dealing with corporate computers, all kind of security risk. And what was happening was that they had a... Um, that when computers are out of date, it's automatically taken off the network. And it was just doing what it was supposed to do because that computer was no longer secure. And uh, when I got there, I'm like, man, like you have, we have to kind of scrap everything and kind of just rebuild everything because they was on the verge of like losing everything. And like, I think taxis was like right around the corner or something. So <laughs> like, it may not seem much to somebody, but if you lose like records, from yeah. the businesses that you're supporting and you're doing that tech, that's a big thing. So, right. Well, I read a blog that you wrote uh, a year ago, I think, uh, where you were talking about just basic security measures people should take um, in order to avoid, like, the most, the, the easiest, most basic hacks that people get. Oh, you know, you win a prize, click here, and that people do that. Um, do you, you know, it, it seems to me like at this point people should know you know, that, that, you know, you're not, there is no Nigerian prince that's going to give you $10 million. <laughs> that That's not real. And yet these things keep happening. I mean, at least twice a day, I've got somebody who's like, yeah, my Facebook got hacked. And I'm like, what you mean is you clicked on something you weren't supposed mm. to, didn't you? But um, I don't know. I mean, do you, do you find that people are starting to get savvier about that? Or do you find that you're having the same conversation over and over with people? Man, like, people not even using computers no more to hack people. Like, you just call them on the phone. If you sound convincing enough, like, that's enough. I had an older client who, um, she had came to me and she let this uh, company come on her computer because um, you know how you got security alerts on your credit cards and stuff? Like, she got a text message to say, hey, um, somebody tried to withdraw $1,200. And, and she didn't push this link and call these people and they told her, like, hey, we need $20,000 um, in order to stop this fraudulent from happening. And she went to her credit union, her bank, and she was with her husband. And uh, he, he was, and she was like, uh, I was like, she didn't try to go get $20,000 ATM. He looked at me and she was like, she tried. <laughs> and I'm like, and so she, the bank eventually flagged it, but these people had, they were so smart where they used like Google Maps to identify where the Bitcoin uh, machines are around Cedar Rapids. And they, 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 were, they knew enough to be familiar with the area. Like, the internet tells a lot too much sometimes. Like, <laughs> you it don't really don't have to work hard where you can pinpoint where she's at in her car and then they got on her computer. So, anything that she visited or anything, they had enough information. So um, when she came to me, I was able to get her devices and wipe them and kind of, you know, help it. But I'm glad that the bank stopped and flagged it. But it's easier now because people give out so much information. Even on Facebook posts, like, they be like, what girl name starts with a B and ends with an A? I'm like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> and then you see, like, 2,500 comments, like, everybody trying to gotcha. figure it out. Like, <laughs> like, what's that? That's like a, when they trying to attack the passwords, like, you trying to put it, no, we got humans doing this for us now. Like, so, 
No, people have made it real easy now, and the senior community, they're really still kind of targeted and, um, you know, and then if they lost somebody and pulling no hard strings and stuff like that. Which is awful. And it's, you know, like we, we laugh about, oh, you know, don't, that's, that's, there's no way you shouldn't believe that. But I mean, there are a lot of folks who just get taken advantage of. Um, and it's not because they're stupid, because mm-hmm. they just genuinely don't know any better. They, yep. And they have no reason to think that somebody would be dishonest with them about something like that. And it's, it's really, it's frustrating to see people preying on like that segment of the population. It's just, yeah, I, mm. I used to work with the elderly, um, yeah. and I've had at least three stories, but I remember one particular story. Uh, somebody had called one of my clients, and they were saying, hey, um, your daughter is in jail, you know, um, and we need this X amount of money to assist and help her get out of jail. And of course, this lady, she's like 90 years old, and instead of them saying, hey, send me X amount of dollars, they said, hey, go to Walmart and get a what, Visa gift card or something like that. That should, of course, you know, normal people, red flag. Um, and then, of course, let me know the the codes on the back and all that stuff. And then, of course, then I'll help her get out. And, of course, she was scammed out of, like, maybe 2000 or so dollars. But it's just stuff like that. It's like people are just so vulnerable. Um, and it's just that time when they're just, like, just sitting down, relaxing. They get that phone call, like, oh, my baby, you know, mm-hmm. let me help her out. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah. crazy because we give so much information away social yeah. media profiles and all that we voluntarily give our life away so um we are walking security especially young people like yeah they even just as worse so <laughs> so so Dale, you've been you've been in business for yourself for a few years now and things are things are going in a really good direction for you is there a piece of advice or insight based on your experience that you would give to somebody else who is thinking about making the same move, somebody who's thinking about opening up their own business for the first time after kind of, you know, just sort of doing it here and there on a freelance basis. And now they're like, you know what, I'm going to make the move. I'm going to quit Geek Squad and I am going to try and start my own thing. Is there a piece of of advice or insight you'd offer to them based on what you've been through? Um, Yeah. Test the market and make a plan. Like, before I was able, like, to go 100% hard, like, I failed a couple times. Like, I got rejected a few times where it started off good and then, like, nah, it ain't the time, it ain't the time. Because uh, when you live off salary and you get used to certain things, like, you get used to certain amenities. So you have to break those habits away. And you really have to be able to have a mindset. And then if you have family and children, like, that don't make it any harder because you got these responsibilities and you got people depending on you. So I definitely would say test the market. Like doing feasibility report, even for the cyber cafe, like I did two months of free game and just to see like was the area ready for it. And it was if we did open, were kids interested in it? And did people see the benefit and the value of it? And to me, like that's the basis of selling any product or service. You want to make sure like, hey, that there's people that's in it and not that – that exciting rush where you know your first five clients is just people excited to support you like no life after that when you really got to go and find those people or you really got to put in that work to get residual income or just any income at all so and having a plan like plans don't always work out so um but having some kind of plan having some kind of structure 
um, business plan, like something that you can look at on that's tangible, something you can kind of follow when times get hard or something like when things may not go on way that you can look at and actually physically reevaluate and say, hey, this is what I'm doing and this is how I can make it better or uh, not look at failures as just total losses, but failures as um, learning lessons and stepping stones to take things to the next level. Fail forward. That's yeah, the, hey, yeah, yes. Yeah. Like Can't that. make progress without being willing to, you know, make a mistake here and there. Yeah, and it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daryl, thank you so much for coming on. It's been awesome chatting with you, and uh, and and hopefully uh, we'll have you on again sometime soon because, like we said, the the IT industry is constantly changing, and I imagine you'll have yeah. all kinds of new stories to tell by this oh, time yes. next year. I was about to get excited, so and I appreciate you for having me on, Rob, and appreciate uh, you inviting me to it. For sure. Thanks so much to our guest, Daryl English, for coming on the show. Remember, you can find We Dream Tech Solutions on Facebook or other social media, or you can visit their website, which is wdtechsolutions.com. Or just stop by the Nubo City Market and say hi to Daryl in person. He's got a really good place there. And if you love the show, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also visit our blog, nubo.co slash blog, to find the key takeaways summarized and detailed. This podcast is produced and distributed by the LAS Media Group. For more information, go to lasmediagroup.com. Finally, we sure would love it if you would consider a donation to NuboCo. Your contribution to our nonprofit helps contribute to serve innovators, educators, entrepreneurs across the state of Iowa. To learn more, visit nubo.co slash donate. You know, I feel like the subject of failure keeps coming up on this podcast a lot. Have you noticed that? Yes. And I, I think that's, you know, that's good, though. Um, you know, like we were saying, you need to fail forward. You need to make mistakes to advance. And I, I, I think that's a great takeaway that I've had from multiple episodes, multiple guests. And so, yeah, the people who keep driving for perfection, it's like, man, you're not going to get anywhere if you do that. You've got to be willing to screw up. I agree. And I believe in that philosophy, which is why I screw up all the time. And if someone gets mad at me, I'm like, what? I'm getting better. <laughs> I learn from my failure. <laughs> well, keep learning from your failures out there, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much.